now. I, I better be reversed. Hey, wait a minute. What? Oh, my goodness. One, two. Yes. 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 What did the roadie do? Dean Douglas, the personification of knowledge. Go ahead, Road Ladies Dog. and gentlemen. Without further ado, the moment each and every one of you have all been waiting for. Jump, jump, jump. Singing his hey. hit single with my baby tonight, the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. And welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to July of 1995 for Volume 2 of this month's show. Volume 1 is our look at all things WCW. Volume 3 is, as ever, ECW. Uh, and this show is Volume 2, looking at In Your House 2, The Lumberjacks, as well as some other WF stories of the month. This is a very good show. If you're a fan of Scottish accents, this is always going to happen, let's be honest. Uh, Introduce your first, Del Muir. Del, good afternoon. Hi, Bob. And Craig Wilson. Hello. Uh, Del, kicks off with the news. Yeah, details just a week after the event are a bit sketchy, Bob, but Jeff Jarrett and the roadie have apparently walked out on the WWF shortly following Jarrett losing his Intercontinental title at the second in your house. The walkout follows a pretty huge storyline month for the pair. It was led by the launch of Jarrett's single With My Baby Tonight, which in real life and to be in storyline was actually sung by the roadie. Jarrett lip-synced the song at the pay-per-view before his match, and it was scheduled to lead to Roddy turning face when it was revealed that he was actually the singer. Jeff's father, Jerry Jarrett, former promoter, said that his decision to leave was down to his perceived misuse of his character. The WWF held a second In Your House pay-per-view this month, a show widely regarded as the company's best efforts in months, although that could be damning with faint praise. Shawn Michaels and Jeff Jarrett had a 20-minute classic which ended with Michaels winning the Intercontinental title after the roadie had accidentally tripped Jarrett. Elsewhere, Diesel defeated Sid Vicious and the fuse was lit for his SummerSlam opponent, King Mabel, who was one of the Lumberjacks that attacked him mid-match. And while the final list of names is far from confirmed, the WWF released a number of on-screen and off-screen employees this month, believed to be in an effort to cut costs. These include head shrinker Sione, Afa and Captain Lou Albano, Doink, Dink, Duke the Dumpster Drossy and presenter Stephanie Wind. 
This is likely not the end with both King Kong Bundy and Hakushi expected to leave soon. Also names like Mantor, Techno Team 2000 and the Heavenly Bodies will be phased out. On Hakushi, it's said he's handed in his notice with the company, which likely explains why there was so little follow-up to that match with Bret Hart in May. The cost-cutting measures were also felt away from the arenas, with WWF letting numerous office staff go and formally cutting ties with Jack Tunney, who's on screen at least was still the WWF president. Elsewhere, the company has filed a lawsuit against the original doink, Matt Osborne, to stop using the gimmick. In fact, that Osborne has been arrested twice recently is no coincidence with this story. Shane Douglas made his debut on TV after the pay-per-view as Dean Douglas, his school teacher gimmick inspired by his real-life occupation. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when fear overtakes you and you run up into the stands, Diesel? And the Manton! And Rat Radford! And John Gianna Feet! Physically run into the stands and grab your screaming, fighting, kicking body and bring it back down to ringside and throw you back in the ring with Sid. I'll tell you what you're going to do, Diesel. It's going to hit you. You're going to realize, oh my God, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into here? How can I escape? (laughs) There is no escape, Diesel. Because there's only one thing you can do in less than two weeks. Climb into the ring and pay the price. And the price you pay, Diesel, will be the World Wrestling Federation title. We start Raw on July 3rd. We cut back to the after Raw went off the air last week. Jeff Jarrett is demanding a title match with Shawn Michaels. Michaels puts on Jarrett's title belt and hits him with a super kick. We then get the full debut of Jarrett's new music video, With My Baby Tonight. We cut to footage from on Superstars on July 1st, where Herio Godwin dumps a pig slop over Adam Bomb. Back on Raw, Godwin wants to win the squash match, and afterwards, Ted DiBiase indicates that Godwin is now under his pay. Godwin defends the R-way as Bam Bam Bigelow comes out for his match against Psycho Sid. Bam Bam and Godwin exchange blows for officials to escort Godwin away. Bam Bam and Sid have a pretty decent match. Bam Bam sets up to win the match, but DBRC distracts referee. Godwin runs out and pushes Bam Bam off the turnbuckle as he's setting up for a headbutt. Sid picks up the victory. After the match, it's a decent, although slightly dangerous looking powerbomb to Bam Bam Bigelow. A video package airs from WS presence at the Special Olympics in Connecticut. Waylon Mercy wins a debut squash match over Jeff Hardy, and Jerry Lawler takes us on tour of his dentist's office. We even see Yankum himself, who has a very dirty set of teeth. On to July 10th, and Jeff Jarrett is off looking for, uh, for producer Buddy Lee. He ends up getting escorted from the premises. I think this was uh, a clip that aired last year. We cut to The Zone from Sunday, as we see Joel Barry Horowitz win his first WWF match against Skip. During a match between Hunter Hearst, Helmsley and Matt Hardy, Vince McMahon says comments via the internet have been received following King of the Ring. In the main event, the Allied Powers of Lex Luger and the British Bulldog defeated Tatanka and Henry O. Godwin. We also take another trip to Dr. Isaac Yankum's surgery. The patient says her three favourite WWF superstars are Diesel, Razor and Bret Hart. The third answer angers Yankum. July 17th, Raw opens with an Owen Hart and Yokozuna squash match. They're now building Yokozuna at £641. Fatu has returned to California, has been repackaged as a singles act. Returning to his roots, he wants to make a difference. 
Shawn Michaels defeats RS. We take another trip to Dr. Isaac Yankum's dental surgery. Diesel's being interviewed by Vince McMahon in the ring, as we see half of the Lumberjacks, essentially every WWF babyface. Diesel speaks with Bam Bam and Shawn Michaels about what they're going to do to Psycho Sid in the match. Sid gets on the apron, but declines getting in the ring with Diesel, despite being egged on by, of all people, Vince McMahon. This is where it all started for me, Fatu. This is where I grew up right here, Sunnydale, California. My address is 57 Blackdale. This was my playground where I used to hang out with all my little buddies, but as you can see now, it ain't there no more. My mom always told me, and I'll never forget this, she always told me, never forget who you are and never forget where you come from. Well, you know what? If my mama was here today, she'd be one proud lady because I'm back home. This is where it all started. I'm going to show you where I grew up. It wasn't no big palace. It wasn't no big house. This is the door here. This little place. It might be little, but it was home sweet home for me and my brothers. Remember, when I come to the wrestling ring, WWF, I'm going to make a difference myself, just like my mama told me. And remember, there ain't no hope with dope. And if you don't know, you better ask somebody. Make a difference. And we move on to In Your House 2. Del, the results. Yep, starting off, Bob, we've got the roadie beating the 1-2-3 kid. We've then got Men on a Mission, which is King Mabel and Sir Mo, defeating Razor Ramon and Savio Vega. Bam Bam Bigelow defeated Henry O. Godwin. Sean Michaels defeated Jeff Jarrett for the Intercontinental Championship and is now your new champion. The tag team champions, Owen Hart and Yoko Zuna, they beat the allied powers of Lex Luger and the British Bulldog. And in your main event, WWF champion Diesel defeated Psycho Sid with Ted DiBiase in a lumberjack match. The lumberjacks involved in the match were Eli Blue, King Mabel, Samo, IRS, Kama, King Kong Bundy, Tatonka, Henry O'Godwin, Rad Radford, Skip, Tom Pritchard and Jimmy Del Rey, the Heavenly Bodies, Jacob Blue, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, Mantor and Hunter Hurst Helmsley. They were on the side of Psycho Sid. And with Diesel, the Lumberjacks were Bam Bam Bigelow, Razor Ramon, Savio Vega, the 1-2-3 Kid, Man Mountain Rock, Adam Baum, Bob Hawley, Duke the Dumpster Drossy, Head Shrinker Fatu, Billy Gunn, Bart Gunn, Chad Fortune, Eric Watts, and your new Intercontinental Champion, the Heartbreak Kid, Sean Michaels. Christ, were there that many Lumberjacks? Jesus, I mean, what's your view? each side, Bob. Wow, a lot. Craig, what do you think of this show? Uh, yeah, as, as I said in the sort of new section, it was uh, it was pretty good. Uh, there were some some matches that could have probably done without seeing, but overall, uh, more than pass marks for for this one. Best uh, one of the best shows so far in that five, certainly for the WWF. No. I'm pretty, pretty inclined to, to agree with Craig there, Bob. I mean, as Craig says, kind of some of it just as usual, hit and miss with some of the matches that were in there, but certainly that will, that will come on to, there's possibly my favourite WWF match of the year so far involved in this show, certainly at, at first glance anyway, so definitely some highlights. Yeah, um, I don't seem to be that as hard on this show as a lot of other people do. Um, yes, it was the best WF show of 1995, but that says very, very little. Um, for me, it was just more uh, like when we, we, we discussed at length on last month's show just how badly they got King of the Ring wrong. For me, the improvement was largely they just didn't make the mistakes they made last month. Um, they got most of the star power they had in the right places 
against the right opponents. The booking was largely sorry. There was an exceptional match between Shawn Michaels and, and, and Jeff Jarrett. Um, but that aside, I don't think this show was that good. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's more that you, you can say, well, there was an okay opener, some decent-ish action in the middle of a fantastic continental title match and a main event that probably disappointed about as much as you would have expected. Um, but we will start with In Your House 2. It's, we're in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, and they're going heavy on the music theme. There's a stage area set up next to the In Your House set for a musical performance later in the show from Jeff Jarrett. We start with the one, two, three kid against the roadie. The kid attacks roadie before he even gets in the ring. Kid does his usual combination of kicks in the corner before dumping roadie to the outside with a head scissor. We cut to Jarrett's locker room, uh, who, while having the match on, seems to be far more focused on getting ready for his performance tonight. Back in the ring, Rhodey rounds the kid's head into the ring post. Rhodey hits a pair of leg drops while hitting a bat body drop. Rhodey then does some showboating on the second rope. The crowd rallies with one, two, three kid chats, and uh, the kid is in a sleeper. Kid hits a spinning back kick for a near fall and regains control in the match, hitting a drop kick in the corner, followed by a body slam. The kid hits a top rope splash, but the Rhodey kicks out. Kid jumps onto the Rody's shoulders, but Rody sits out for a lovely powerbomb for another near fall. And the match ends with Rody doing a power driver from the second jump, uh, from the second rope, sorry. That looked, uh, I, I, I put horrid in my notes, Craig. Was that, was that a fair assessment? <laughs> I, I think so, certainly when you consider the, the neck injuries that the 123 kid had previous to this. Certainly yeah. a risky bump for him to take, and it, it didn't look very, very nice at all. No, essentially, it, it was a pile driver kind of with, with Rody facing outwards of the ring, so kind of like falling back into it. And he decided to kind of like not jump off the second rope, but kind of walk backwards off the second rope, um, and, and was very out of control. Del, what do you think of this match? It's something that I've really been impressed with in the last couple of months, Bob, and just come back to the news, it's kind of sad to see that the, the walk has happened. Is this Rody character that I really think got, got legs? And I mean, starting off, uh, a show with the kids, you should be starting off these kind of shows with getting the crowd going, getting them something that they're going to get behind, and the athleticism that the kids got combined with that character that the roadies got, I thought it was a really decent start. Craig? Yeah, I, th- I thought so as well. I, I think uh, I agree with Del that the roadies uh, quite good. He, I mean, he, he didn't sort of seem able to keep up to the pace with the one, two, three kid, but I think that would be quite a harsh criticism uh, to levy. Uh, to level that at someone that they can't keep up with someone as pace as one, two, three kid. But no, uh, D- Dell's assessment's probably right. You want the, the, the crowd going, and th- these two were able to tell a pretty decent story in the time that they were given. Yeah, this 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 is this is exactly the kind of match you want in an opener, really. Um, not not excessively long. Um, the action was w- was good without being the kind of thing that might take away from the rest of the show. And and yeah, I, I don't think they they really put a foot wrong here, other than uh, other than that finish. I mean, Dale, we we. Uh, it, that's the thing. It didn't look that good. Like you know, you can you can mm. do dangerous looking moves if if they look really dangerous. Then fair enough. But this was just a dangerous move. Pretty much, it never really kind of sold anything. There was no kind of follow up as if they'd planned an angle in the back. It was just oh, and you kind of left it there. You shouldn't really be left with that reaction. It should be oh, what's coming next? Or I mean, after that, it was just as Craig says with the injuries that's been been plaguing the kid in the last couple of months. How that was, how that was planned out, I don't really know. I mean, especially when they'd done the lovely spot during the match with the, the kid as if he was going for the leapfrog, Rody catches him, does a, a, 
pop-up power bomb. It was lovely, lovely move. It looked good. Kind of got the rodeo over. We've seen him kind of doing that move last month and it got over, but it just, it was really, really messy and you just don't want those kind of risk and taking special with somebody like the kid when he can just get folded up like an accordion. Yeah, um, I might have been inclined to end with a power bomb, but I guess when you've got a main event with, with two guys who've got that as their finisher, then maybe True. not. Um, but yeah, we, we will elaborate more on, on, on kind of Brody's progress and we discuss him and Jarrett, uh, later on in the show. Uh, anyway, as Brody's leaving the, uh, ring, he goes on the stage area and does a mic check. He then has some brief discussion with the guitarist. We go backstage, we get a brief promo from the million dollar stable. Sid says this is about extinction. Next up, it's Men on the Mission, King Mabel and Sir Moe, as they've now been rebranded, against Razor Ramon and Savio Vega, obviously playing off the post-match attack from King of the Ring last month. Ramon is wearing strapping on his back and ribs, although he takes it off uh, and then throws it at Mabel. Razor flicks his toothpick at Sir Moe, and then Razor finally hits a fallaway slam. Mabel and Moe go for a slingshot Irish whip, but Vega moves and Mabel eats turnbuckle. Mabel is quickly back in control and confronts Razor in the corner. Mabel does a fairly impressive kick to the back of Vega's head. The heels are fully in control. Savio goes for a body slam on Mabel, but collapses under the weight. Mabel and Moe hit a drop-toe-hold-leg-drop drop combination. Razor jumps in the ring and helps out Vega, which lifts up the crowd. So Moe goes for a moonsault, but Vega rolls out of the way. He's on the wrong side of the ring for a hot tag to Razor. He gets it eventually, which pops the crowd. Razor hits a back suplex on the second rope before singling for the end, which gets the crowd up again. Mabel climbs to the top rope. Razor throws him off, but only gets a two count. The crowd are all over Razor here. Mabel hits a DDT to Razor, then goes for a splash, but Razor rolls out of the way. Vega gets tired of Moe's interruption and throws him over the top to the outside. Mabel squashes Razor in the corner, the implication being that it's injured Razor's ribs. Mabel then hits a belly-to-belly slam and picks up three count on Razor. Craig? This picked up. Uh, I, I think expectations were always going to be pretty low for, for this one being anything like a classic. I thought the, the the action picked up a lot towards the end, and it was actually it's actually quite a good match by the by the time the finish came. I thought. No. Or is that just too much optimism for this? We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Craig Got Wilson, it. the optimistic Scotsman, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it, it was all right, to be honest, Bob. I mean, there was nothing special to it. Razor. I kind of like to feel that he's maybe earned a bit of a higher higher placement up the card but obviously as you said just kind of leading into the match that angle with the coronation of King Mabel and then Razor and Savio there at the end it was kind of feeding into something whether that should have been on a pay-per-view or if it should have maybe been a TV match could probably be argued but the full King Mabel Sir Mo thing I actually quite like Mabel's been coronated as king he's turned to his trusted right hand man and knighted him as a, a knight of the realm I mean, that's, that's kind of got a bit of legs to it. Razor's good. Savio, kind of seen a bit much of him last month, but, I mean, it, it filled a spot in the card, I suppose. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm three for three on this match, exceeding my fairly low expectations. Um, they did just about enough where they didn't get Mabel in the ring for long enough where he could have had that, you know, disaster that he had at King of the Ring, um, in terms of where he was just blowing up. Um, the crowd were into Razor. 
Um, I think there was just enough heat on Mabel to counteract that. Um, and yeah, you know, it was, it, the action was decent. This match didn't offend me and it didn't bore me, uh, which I, I probably would have thought it, it was going to going in. Um, uh, wasn't necessarily any better than that, but, and, and we're also on, on the booking front, you know, as, as much as we might, um, argue the merits of Mabel being put in the spot he'd been put in, the right guy went over. So we're two for two on the booking tonight as well. Um, yeah, no, nothing, nothing groundbreaking here, but this, this, this had the potential to be far worse. Um, and it certainly wasn't that. Uh, anyway, we move on. And, uh, Todd Bettengill is dicking about with the band on the stage. Doc Hendricks is backstage with the baby-faced lumberjacks. Hendricks is trying to establish which of the smoking guns, Adam Bomb, Man Martin Rock, and Bam Bam Bigelow has been bought by the million dollar team, but they all deny it. Rody introduces Jeff Jarrett for his singing performance. Rody sounded very smooth on the microphone. And then we get Jarrett miming, or lip-syncing, um, his performance of With My Baby Tonight. Um, Craig, I, I think as much as we might argue the merits of a musical performance on a, on a wrestling show, I think given that it's a, it's an active character, I think this is more relevant than usual. Uh, I, I give them 10 out of 10 for how they executed this. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was quite good fun. Uh, I, I know you refer to him as dicking around. I, I, I like that, that aspect of Todd Pettengill's character, but yeah, I, I did think exactly what you mean. But in terms of, uh, in terms of Jack's performance, yeah, it was, uh, or, yeah, his performance, because you can't say singing. Uh, his performance, I thought it was good fun. Uh, and I mean, if you're ever going to get away with anything like that, it's probably going to be in Nashville, isn't it? Yeah. Bill? Yeah, I, I totally agree with the both of these, Bob. I thought it was really well done. I mean, you, you get these musical performances more. You know, you used to get like the National Anthem and America the Beautiful and things before, like big shows like the WrestleManias, and you'll get random kind of spots like I remember run DMC back in the day and it was just it was woeful but um, this has got a place I mean it's, it's building Jarrett's character it's building the roadie's character you can't say that I mean especially again going back to the news with this walk it situation when they're saying he's not happy with where they're taking the character I mean they made him look a pretty big deal with the full set was there the live bands there he's got the double J up and the, the big sign above the stage I mean it just it kind of built up the angle for what it was and I thought the two of them carried it off brilliantly no, and you know also in the sense that I don't get the sense that you knew any better this, this wasn't I think if you weren't all that aware, you might think, oh, he's actually quite a good singer. Mm. Um, credit to Jarrett, who, who <laughs> we should also say, isn't a singer, and was able to go out there uh, and mime a convincing enough performance where I think your average viewer might have believed it. Um, and also, one thing they've done very well with this and very well with um, the performance on Raw, and again, we're going to have a proper discussion about this later on. The one thing they've done very well is that all the baby faces are believing it. And that, you know, that's, that's part of it is just, you know, Vincent Mann's going, well, I, I, I didn't think he could do that. Um, and Craig, as a sidebar, Rody's got a very good voice, I mean, musically, but also is, is, is announcing before Jeff Jarrett came on. Uh, if this wrestling gig doesn't work out, I think he'd do very well as a ring announcer. I, th- I think so. There's, he's got, uh, he's certainly got a lot of charisma. No. Does his job perfectly, boss? Is his character development, the two of these have been definitely some of the highlights in the full federation this year. And Roddy, for, we know he's got that heritage with the family and that, that he's from, but I just think he's taken this character that could easily die a death, as we'll probably come on to near the end of the show once we've wrapped up the pay-per-view with dodgy gimmicks, but he's took it, he's run with it, he's done brilliant, I think. 
And we move on to Henry O'Gorin versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, Goldwyn starts with a back body drop, but Bam Bam pops straight up and does two of his own, followed by a shoulder tackle that sends Goldwyn to the outside. Bam Bam then nails the DDT. Match fills to the outside. Goldwyn rounds Bam Bam's head into the ring steps and then locks in a long sleeper hold. Bam Bam heads to the top rope and goes for a headbutt, but Goldwyn rolls out of the way. Cohen goes to the second rope and goes for a knee drop. Bam Bam rolls out of the way and gets the pin. The pump Goldwyn took looked particularly painful. Del? I think your concisity of the notes that you took in this match both kind of sums it up. I mean, Henry O. Godwin, hog. He's a hog farmer. <laughs> um, it's, just, I don't know. It's worth saying, I think, I think this spot was going to be for King Kong Bundy. Um, right. So I got a feeling we, we got the good end of this, because I think Bundy and Bam Bam could have been significantly worse than this. Well, that's it. You've got the name power with Bundy, but actual and ring, you don't really want to be seeing him going five minutes. He, he's tailor made for a rumble spot where he comes in, throws out a couple, looks strong, and then gets eliminated, maybe under hokey circumstances, and that's it. He's done his job. Can I see him in a singles match for five minutes? Doesn't exactly whet the, whet the appetite. I mean, Bam Bam was headlining WrestleMania a couple of months ago, and you're kind of seeing him mid-card on a beef show with, with pretty much a glorified jobber and Henry Godwin. And I mean, we spoke well, at the yeah, but about I, I didn't mind this in the sense that if Godwin is a jobber, and he is, this was a squash match. True. I mean, I think I think it's just a, ten, a kind of testament to this kind of face turn that they've tried with, with Bam Bam, where he's got the kind of prowess, he's got the aerial ability for a man his size. He's he's pretty much a, a Vader 2.0 potentially, but just seeing him stuck in these kind of matches, I mean, he did get the squash, he got the win, but I mean, we spoke at the start about it being hit and miss, kind of what the the opener was good, got the crowd going. We've seen the last couple of matches. We're then going to be coming up to the Intercontinental title match. This was, again, just a bit of a, a spot filler for me. Craig? I thought it was better. Again, it was better than you'd probably expect. I think I think both guys certainly grafted and put in a lot of work to, to try and drag this up from what it, it possibly could have been. But I, I think Dale's point about Bigelow is probably the, the fairest point. Just the idea that this guy's went from carrying Lawrence Taylor to to a credible match at WrestleMania to, to being involved in, albeit a, a squash victory, matches against Henry Godwin on, on In Your House 2. It's, it's a bit of a fall from fall from grace. And the, the fact he's got a jazzy new uniform isn't going to disguise that. No. I mean, yeah, there, there is something to be said for the, the fact that in a parallel universe, it's Bam Bam Bigelow and Diesel in the main event, um, with Bam Bam still as a heel. Um, but that aside, I didn't mind this. As I say, you know, I, I didn't see this necessarily as a demotion for Bam Bam. I just saw it more of a case of let's get him on the show with a quick, convincing squash victory over over what we should say is a name guy. I mean, bottom of the rung, but he, he's not a complete jobber. He wins matches on TV against jobbers. Um, but but a low-end name guy. And again, um, they had this kind of laid out. I think it was going to be Bundy, and that perhaps would have been a... A more significant match with a bigger name, even if it perhaps would have been worse. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can, I can forgive them what, what they did here. But yeah, it, it was fine. You know, I, I think there's, there are wider issues with Bam Bam than, than winning a, a four minute match on a pay per view. We cut to the crowd and Bob Backlund is canvassing. We then get a Shawn Michaels promo. He said it was his birthday yesterday. And he's right, it was my birthday as well. I, I became four years old. Uh, he said he wants to win the gold as a late birthday present. 
WWF Intercontinental title match, Jeff Jarrett versus Shawn Michaels. Therodi comes out before the match and does the introduction for Jarrett. Shawn Michaels comes out and gets a tremendous reaction. Michaels grabs hold of Jarrett's title and looks his reflection in it. The pair lock up. Michaels strikes Jarrett so hard that he flops across the ring into the other corner. Michael relaxes by laying across the top turnbuckle. Jarrett then does an arm drag and then celebrates before doing his strut. Jarrett does a jumping spot in the corner before nailing Sean with the right hand. Jarrett then celebrates by doing Michael's turnbuckle pose. The action continues at a frenzied pace. Michael sends Jarrett over the top rope but does his rumble spot and flips back into the ring before doing Jarrett's strut. Surprisingly, rather than trying to fetch Jarrett, Michael actually encourages the referee to do the uh, count out. Jarrett eventually slides back in the ring at nine. He pulls the same tree again. Michaels finally loses patience and goes out after him. Michaels goes to the top, but Jarrett regains control. Only briefly, as Michaels stalls in a drop kick before sends Jarrett flying over the top rope uh, into Rody on the outside. Michaels jumps uh, to the top rope and hits a flying crossbody to Jarrett and Rody on the outside. The crowd allowed. Michaels charges Jarrett in the corner, who sends him flying over the turnbuckle, crashing to the outside. Jarrett then rounds Michaels' head into the ring steps. Jarrett does a reverse suplex, appears to nearly drop Michaels on his head, then does a long abdominal stretch, hits a DDT while on the run, but can only get a two count. McMahon's microphone has gone silent, so Lawler is alone on commentary. Rody and Michaels get into an altercation in the ropes. Jarrett goes for a running leg drop, but Michaels moves and Rody eats it. Jarrett sends Michaels towards the ropes, who does the Ric Flair spot from the outside. Jarrett climbs to the top, but the referee tells him to get down. While that goes on, Rody rungs on the apron and takes out Michaels on the outside. Jarrett goes to the top, hits a flying crossbody, but Michaels rolls through and almost gets a three count of his own. The pair exchange pin attempts. Jarrett goes for a drop kick, but only gets two. Michaels rallies out of a sleeper hold into a back body drop. The referee does a ten count and then basically just stops at nine as neither man gets up. Michaels crawls over a pin. Jarrett barely kicks out. The pair get up, bounce opposite ropes, and Michaels hits a lovely shoulder charge. Michaels goes to the top, hits a double axe handle, then goes to the top again for an elbow drop, but it's still unable to get a three count. Michaels crotches Jarrett on the ring post, which fires up the crowd no end. Jarrett hits a superplex, then signals that it's all over. Goes for a figure four, but Michaels gets a near four with a roll-up. Jarrett goes for a second, but Michaels kicks Jarrett into the referee. Michael sets for his super kick, but the roadie comes from behind and takes him out. Jarrett goes for a crossbody from the top, but Michaels barely kicks out. Jarrett tells Roddy to trip up Michaels when he sends him into the ropes. Roddy turns his back and does it instructed, but ends up tripping Jarrett, not Michaels, who's been reversed in the Irish whip. Michaels then hits his super kick and wins the WWF Intercontinental title. Del. I might be forgetting some matches, Bob, but off the top of my head, this is honestly my favourite pay-per-view match that this Federation's offered this year. Um, there's been a couple of TV matches, whether it was in the King of the Ring qualifiers, whether it was Jarrett's title match at the start of the year. You, you'd be looking probably at Bret Hart and Diesel from the Royal Rumble, which was pretty good, although long and ended in a double DQ, and you'd be yeah. looking at Bret Hart and Akushi from May. That is pretty much it. Bret Hart and Akushi, I was thinking about it as well for for TV matches. I mean, pay-per-view has really not been a stellar year for the Fed. Um, even this this title, which is honestly my favourite championship in the full wrestling the Intercontinental Belt, and it's kind of died a bit of a death in the last kind of year, really looking back for that, that Razor and Sean 
angle will kind of leading up to WrestleMania. There's not been a lot more to that title. Jarrett has done amazingly in the last few months. I mean, I've, I've said it pretty much every month that I've been on the the WWF show with yourself that Jarrett's just really impressed me and he's, he's carried that belt really well. Shame, obviously, with this walking angle, but Sean really excites me for an intercontinental run, especially as a babyface now as well. I think it, I think it really could be a, a good couple of months for him leading through the summer. Hopefully he can hold on to a couple of good matches with that belt, bring back up the prestige of that. And as I say, just one of my favourite matches of the year so far. I thought the two of them did brilliantly. Craig? Yep, uh, not, certainly not much I can disagree with there. That's certainly the, the best uh, match that Jeff Jarrett's had on uh, on a WWF show or on TV. Uh, a large part of that's obviously to do with Michaels, but credit where credit's due, the, the pair of them had a fantastic match here. Uh, a near unmissable 20 minutes of action. Yeah, I... I'd... I don't want to undercut it by criticising it, but I, I'm not quite as hard on this match as everyone else is. I thought there was a, you know, it was a 20 minute match that essentially had about three or four minutes of kind of stalling and stuff at the start. That's not to say that's a bad thing. You kind of, you, you need that and that did help heat up the crowd. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I guess I would call it a very, very good match, but I don't think it was exceptional. I think it is, um, in part, it says a lot about the, 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 the batting average of the WWF this year that this is, by a good distance, their best match. I don't think Bret Hart and Hakushi was was anything close to this. Um, the action was good. It was fast. Um, the right guy won. Yeah, I mean, like I think a lot of people are giving this match nine out of ten. I think I'd probably give it eight, eight and a half. I think that's where I'm at. I don't want to sound critical of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, both guys here just did exceptionally well and put across a match that we we don't see often enough. But I think this is just. Again, testimony that Shawn Michaels is, you know, if, if uh, probably the best worker in North America right now. Pretty much, certainly on a big stage, I would say. Um, I mean, I think even just taking on your points as well, Bob, this was by far, far and away not a perfect match. I mean, there was the ref bump in it, there was a stall and with Jarrett. But I mean, I think just overcoming these things just shows how good that good a match this was. I mean, even just the really, really simple things. With Shawn Michaels standing there, he's got the weight in the left leg, he's going for the super kick, Jarrett's going to lose the title, the roadies there, the ringside comes in, chop blocks the standing leg of Michaels, and then Jarrett sets him up for the figure four on the left leg that the roadies just took out. Simple things like that just make for a good match, and as you say, it's hardly a, hardly a five-star classic, but as a, as a match goes, middle of the Middle of the card, B show for the Federation. It's only the second in your house. I thought they did brilliantly. Del, so where does this match stand among matches this year across all companies we look at? Overall, is probably a surprise to no one. My favourite matches so far have definitely been in ECW, whether it's Al Snow and Benoit, Eddie and Malenko. Um, as I say, on a big stage, it's probably the best for me. I mean, last month he had WCW, there was Pillman and Das Thunderkid, which was very good. Um, See, I enjoyed that match more than this one. I don't know, maybe it was different expectations, maybe it was just... Probably, I mean, when you see Sean, you see it's for the bell, Rhodey and Jarrett have done brilliant the last couple of months, you you do have those expectations in there when you're getting just a throwaway match with Alex Wright, you maybe don't think that much of it, and even kind of going back to Hakushi and Brett, as you were saying as well, I think Hakushi's a 
kind of one of those weird ones where it's, he's a brilliant worker but just stuck under the guise of a terrible gimmick, which again we're kind of talking about as a bit of a pattern with the Federation at the minute, but it's definitely up there. I mean, it's, it's maybe not top three, but definitely top five for me so far, match of the year. And as the Federation goes, it's as good as they've offered. Uh, Craig, uh, you won't have seen anywhere near as much 95 action as me and Dale necessarily, but but your thoughts on the same question? Where, where does this stand up for you so far? I'd I'd say it was it just pips the, the, the Pillman match that you were talking about there, and from the, the limited ECW stuff I've seen... Was it better than Flair and Savage? Uh, no, I don't think it was. Maybe, Probably quite close. It, it probably wasn't as far away as you would expect it to be, considering that it had Jarrett in it. I, th- I think I think a lot of the the sort of uh, praise around this match is just at the fact that it's uh, nineteen ninety five WWF, and you see it's most not, of the not anywhere near as bad as anything else. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that's a that that's probably a, a, a fairer. Uh, Fairer thing, it's you're used to sort of seeing big lumbering guys, and when you see two sort of two twenty, two thirty pound guys getting twenty minutes, there's a reason that they they got the time that they got and they they were able to deliver. So I I think it might just be a lot to do with how poor things generally are in the WWF that this looked as uh, as bright as it did. Craig, what does this match say for Jarrett as a worker? Because, you know, there there might be an inclination from some people to say, well, this is a great match because it had Shawn Michaels in, but I think we've got to give him some credit. Well, I was was probably going to say at at some point that it was Jeff Jarrett's best match, but I I would envisage a lot of people will say that that some of their best matches were with with Shawn Michaels. But, I I mean, he didn't look at at a place in the match and he didn't look out of pace in the match either. I I thought he sort of held his own... uh, it's very difficult to really, to really fault him on this match, to be honest. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, there's, there's a very good argument to say that Jeff Jarrett has got the best match out of Undertaker in the last two years on, on TV yeah. in May. Um, again, that, that doesn't say a lot, given that I think that's Jarrett's probably the only wrestler under six foot five that the Undertaker's wrestled in the last two years. Um, but no, I mean, uh, it, again, it is difficult to tell in the sense that you get the feeling Sean could get a good match out of me. Um, but no, no I, I, I think we, we, we've got to give Jarrett some credit here in that at, at the very worst, he looked like he belonged. Totally. And I mean, it, as you say, it's a really easy thing to kind of criticise Jarrett, especially in this match with his eyes in there with Sean. As you say, Sean could probably make decent workers at the Perry Osbob, but... Jarrett's earned a spot, he's earned that belt that he's been carrying for the last couple of months, he's earned the right to be on that stage when he's getting these angles, whether it's in TV building him up or whether it's pretty much almost tailoring a, a full guy's a pay-per-view, it's in Nashville, everybody's there with the shirts and the cowboy ties and kind of the full kind of intro and outro of the show was all kind of based around country music, you're getting allusions with Jarrett kind of tongue-in-cheek at least comparing uh, Jerry Lawler comparing them to the likes of like kind of Willie Nelson and kind of big country stars and I mean it's it's just a, t- a testament to what Jarrett's done in the last couple of months I mean he's never really been a huge star I mean there was always that kind of that kind of conception of him where it's uh, that's just Jerry's son he's only there because he's Jerry Jarrett's boy and 
kind of getting him out of Memphis and getting him onto a big stage, he, he's delivered. As you see, that match with Undertaker was brilliant. This was really, really, really good for, for where it was and what show it was on. And I mean, he, he, I just don't think you can, I don't want to kind of praise him too high when that you've got the likes of Bret Hart and a Shawn Michaels that's, that's with this company that I think they really need to be, to be kind of trying to get them up to that level for their accepted in a main event spot. But Jarrett is definitely top of the, top of the bees. I mean, not to steal, not to steal too much for Dean Douglas, but he might not be an A plus, but he's definitely a B plus with merit. Ah, well, uh, we'll come on to Dean Douglas later in the show. Uh, we, uh, we'll come backstage and basically this was where the angle was meant to continue and basically this was the moment where we believe where Jarrett and Roddy walked out. So we, we cut back to a uh, hysterical Doc Hendricks who's reenacting <laughs> the scrap that he supposedly just seen between Jarrett and the Roddy. Uh, and in amongst it, I think he said that one of them got punched. Um, I, I thought Hendricks was really good in that spot. Um, and if they came up with that on the fly, I think all the better. Um, we move on to the WF Tank Team title match. It's Yokozuna and Owen Hart with Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette versus the allied powers of Lex Luger and the British Bulldog. Vince McMahon reminds us of how far Yokozuna and Lex Luger have fallen by telling us about their WWF championship feud from two years ago. We start with Yokozuna and Luger exchanging blows. Yoko hits a body slam. Lex rallies around Yoko, who topples o into his corner and apparently straight onto Owen's foot, who isn't happy. So much so he converts Yoko in the ring. Yokozuna shoves him to the ground and Cornette attempts to calm the situation. The pair appear to reconcile, much to Cornette's relief. Luger is now taking on Hart and the pace measurably increases. Bulldog tags in, does some chain wrestling with Owen. Bulldog does a back body drop, but Owen ends up falling straight down and landing on his shoulder. The heels regain control. Yokozuna gets back into the ring and starts laying into Bulldog. Bulldog rallies out of it, out of a no hole, but only into a right hand from Yokozuna. Owen gets on top with Bulldog but ends up crotching himself on the second turnbuckle as Bulldog moves out of the way. We're back to Lex versus Yoko. Luger ups the intensity and throws Owen into the ring. He picks up Owen and throws him at Yokozuna. Bulldog and Luger go for a double back suplex on Yokozuna which whips up the crowd. Owen breaks up the pin. He and Bulldog brawl on the outside. Yokozuna pops up, drops a leg over Luger and wins the match. Del. I honestly think this is the best use of Lex Luger and the British Bulldog that I can imagine in 95. Can I can, between say maybe Mania 9 and 10, can I back in 93, start in 94, Lex was kind of poised to be the man in this company. Bulldog hasn't really done much since say maybe kind of late 92 with the, the match in, in England with, with Brett for the IC belt. Kind of, yeah, he has had a long stint in WCW in that time. Well, that's uh, I mean, federation-wise, certainly he was he was overweight done in Atlanta for a couple of years there. But I mean, they've really not kind of set the world on fire in the last couple of years, from certainly from a New York point of view. But I just think that these two have really kind of got something together here. Whether it's given them a a run with the belts down the line later in the year or. I just think they've, they've really kind of mastered putting those two in a position where they can be accepted, but they can also excel in each other's company as well. They've got the full allied nations kind of side there with the Stars and Stripes and the Union Jack. They've still got a bit of pyro there. They've got the matching, the matching kind of outfits that all tag teams in my eyes should have. Yokozuna, I think, is really well suited with Owen Hart, where he's not in a position these days where he can carry 
carry matches, especially in headline spots and going maybe over 10, 15 minutes on his own. You throw in Jim Carnett into the mix, I just thought it was, it was really decent. I mean, it's kind of almost making the best out of a bad situation when you've got Yoko at probably about 600 pound, I would say. I think they build him as 568, but he, he looks over 600 to me. Lex I don't Luger think is, he looks that big. Like, I, I, I think he's I heavy, know. but I, I've got a feeling they're taking the piss with some of this. I mean, like. Well, I mean, he shaved that beard off that he had a couple of months ago, so that's maybe dropped a couple of pounds, but other than I that. Know, I, I, I see, I've seen giant haystacks who look significantly bigger than this. All right, it was tall. Well, that's true. If you look at, if you look at it for that side, I suppose that's a fair point, but. I mean, he's certainly a lot bigger than he was, kind of, looking back at the primary's career so far, kind of looking at, at 94, kind of time when he's carrying the belt and things like that. I mean, he's, I think they've, kind of, they've really kind of got him well suited, I think, with Owen Hart, where he can do a lot of the groundwork. Bulldog and Luger, as I say, I think they're brilliant together. I think there's, there's definitely legs in them running as a pair, and then you've obviously got the set up at being a, whether it's Luger going back to the narcissist gimmick and kind of turning on Bulldog or something like that down the line, maybe for the start of next year, even maybe heading into Mania. I just think they really done well with the four guys that were in here. It wasn't an impeccable match by any means. I'm not the biggest fan of tag team wrestling, as I've discussed in the show, but I thought the four guys did pretty good here. Craig? I disagree with, uh, with Dale there. I, I love tag team wrestling and... Uh, I agree with the, the, I do agree with the point, however, that you made about the, the little things with, with tag teams. There was one of the shows that we did in either late 93 or 94 with, uh, with Marcus Bagwell and he was, uh, paired with, uh, someone whose name, uh, Two Cold Scorpio, I, I think, were we, were, who are you looking for? And they, they just had, they just had matching get-ups. It just, it just, it doesn't give the impression that they're just thrown together. It makes it look like you're putting a little bit of effort into the team, which obviously helps them. And the fact that they did the mashup uh, theme tune for Bulldog and Luger helped that little bit extra. I couldn't help but notice that Lex Luger certainly did not look too happy when he was coming to the <laughs> ring. I, I'm not convinced he's totally bought into the idea of being a tag team wrestler with the British Bulldog, which probably isn't uh, a massive surprise considering just over a year ago he was driving around in a massive bus around America. Uh, I thought, in terms of the match itself, I thought it was perfectly watchable when it was Owen Hart and the Bulldog in the ring. I thought it was near unwatchable when it was Luger and Yoko and anything involving one or the other uh, was an okay segment. But the, the best stuff came when it was Bulldog and Owen for me. Yeah, I, I, I thought this was pretty good. Um just in terms of, yeah, one of the big complaints about last month at King of the Ring was just the lack of name power. Um, for, for all the faults of the guys involved in this match, there's name power in this match for all four of them. Um, so that really helped. Yokozuna, while big, it, it, it is still serviceable in a tag team role. Owen Hart remains excellent despite the fact they, they seem determined not to get the most out of him. Um, whether Luger is motivated or not, I don't know, but I, you know, he, he's still holding his own and Bulldog's Bulldog. It's, it's four guys who I think most of the WWF audience is going to recognise and are going to have an opinion on, which always helps. As I say, we had, we had four editions of Savio Vega last month, a guy they've barely seen. Um, and yeah, the, the action here was good. It wasn't really, it wasn't really long enough to be anything exceptional. Um, but no, credit to all four involved. I thought they put on a, a good enough match. I, I like this Yokozuna and Owen tag team, Dell. I, I think there's something to be said for that. Yoko Ono, as we've discussed, Bob. 
yeah, the, the joke was funny the first time. I'm not sure. I don't <laughs> so. um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's, you know, th- this isn't a match people are going to remember for very long, but it, it, it was harmless. Um, and in, in terms of four guys who I think you could probably say they could and should be getting more out of all four of them, given the state of their roster. Um, but, you know, they were involved in a tag team in what I technically thought of a little bit is the co-main event of the show. It's more like a cool-down match, but, you know, it's it, it's a significant match on pay-per-view invo- involving four guys who are all, to WWE's credit, somewhat over, whether they're going to use them correctly going forward or not. Uh, we will wait and see. We get a promo from Diesel before the main event. Worryingly, perhaps for him, he is visibly growing some grey hairs. We move on to the WWF title match. It's a lumberjack match between Diesel and Sid. Sid heads to the outside but gets protected by the heels. Sid jumps in the ring and Diesel gets sent over. Diesel gets laid into by the heels. The crowd rally behind him. Diesel gets led into the second row but the lumberjacks go after him. Diesel drops uh, an elbow on Sid, then a second. Diesel signals something for vaulting over the top rope into a sea of lumberjacks. Diesel advances off the far ropes, but Mabel pulls him to the outside, then drives him into the ring post, and then body slams him on the floor. Sid sets up for a powerbomb, which he hits. Once again, Sid wastes far too much time celebrating, and then Diesel kicks out. Sid sets for a second powerbomb, but Diesel flips it over. Sid, for no reason at all, jumps to the outside into a melee of faces. Sean drops an axe handle from the top. Diesel shapes for a jackknife, but has to fight off a trio of heels. He bounces off the far ropes, hits a slot, he bounces Sid, sorry, off the far ropes, hits a sloppy as hell big boot, but wins the match, and that gets a big crowd pop, and after the match, Diesel points towards Mabel. Craig. Wow, this was uh, this was pretty bad. It's probably quite telling that that most of the interest was caused, uh, firstly by the lumberjacks, and to a lesser extent, wondering which one of the face lumberjacks had been bought off by DiBiase. I think uh, whilst we were full of uh, praise, quite rightly, for Shawn Michaels versus Jeff Jarrett, I think this could quite possibly be one of the worst matches of the year, uh, and. It, further evidence, if any was needed, that the whole diesel experiment really isn't working. No. I'm not going to be quite as scathing as Craig was, Bob. I think we seem to talk about this every month with WWF, where we go into these matches, but we're not expecting too much going in, so we always give them the benefit of the doubt. As Craig said when we talked about Sean and, Sean and Jeff Jarrett earlier on, you are kind of used to this WWF land of the Giants, not so much these days, but there's still that tendency there where you do get these two big lumbering, no pun intended, giants in there when they're kind of, the two of them's get the power bomb finished, the two of them's six and a half feet up, the two of them's built, like, well, especially Sid's built like a brick outhouse, but I mean, they kind of made the most of what they could do here, and I think the lumberjack angle to the match was, maybe I'm overstating it, but a bit of a stroke of genius when you've kind of got two guys in there that's going to maybe go 10, 12 minutes in a title match, main event in the show. You're not going to get much out of these two, as we've seen. Put Diesel in there with a Bret Hart, put Sid in there with, with somebody like that as well, where they can get a good match out of them, it's going to be decent. But with the two of them together and no kind of outside interference was a bit of a daunting prospect with these two but kind of having that story there with the lead in with DiBiase as he bought somebody over, somebody else joining the corporation, Sean's there backing up Diesel, it's nice to see the two of them kind of on the same page again I think they've done, I think they've done pretty well for what they were, what they were looking at potentially, I think the Lumberjack staff really added to it as well 
Uh, I, 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 I'll give Diesel and Sid credit in the sense that they've had three matches now on pay-per-view and I think they're getting steadily worse. Um, <laughs> this, this, this wasn't good. Um, yeah, though, like, as, as I mentioned at the start, far too many lumberjacks. The ring's not that big. Only 35 people surrounding the ring. You know what I mean? Um, far too much going on, I think, for much of it to really have any impact. I, okay, it did provide like, enough volume of people for Diesel to kind of you know, throw himself over the top rope in probably what was the highlight of the match. Um, the positives, uh, they, they, they set up quite nicely Mabel attacking Diesel, which gives them the kind of motivation going forward to have the match at SummerSlam. Not that we truly want to see it. Um, <laughs> but no, the, the match just wasn't any good. Um, you know, we've got Sid being the idiot heel, and to a point, he, heels need to be idiots because otherwise they're, they're baby faces. Um, but that, that's the second singles match in a row where he's hit the powerbomb and then just spent ages celebrating. Again, he's a heel, so, you know, it's not that offensive, but it is just a bit stupid. Um, and then, yeah, Sid jumps to the outside for no real reason, um, so Sean can attack him. And then, yeah, a, a, a crap finish with a really, really soft big boot. We've got Hogan doing the same in WCW. I don't know what it is with with, with, with both big guys. You know, they're not even good. I mean, part of the reason is they're facing big guys themselves. A lot of things with the big boot is the guy running at you fast, and then they can run into the boot. Sid isn't capable of that, and neither really was Vader with Hogan. Um, and so you end up with them kind of like leading the boot out there, and you have to kind of like lean into their kick um so that didn't work but yeah this was um poor and craig i I can't be the only one who hopes this is over i mean looks like it is but but this hasn't been a good feud no no Uh, there's certainly no clamor for me to see to see any more action between these two no i can't do with some of it on that bob i mean it's it's been lumbering at best at times and you see the fact that they've drawn it out over a couple of months and it's it's not even showing signs of any kind of potential for them maybe starting to get a bit of chemistry or it's there's a kind of outside angle coming into it that's making it more interesting to see it again and it's done I mean the two of them have got a place as Craig alluded to I think as Diesel Experiment's not not setting the head on fire by any means and it doesn't look to be kind of starting to do so anytime soon either. Sid does a job, whether it's back to kind of the Sid Justice days or I mean he's he's there, he's big, he's menacing, he looks mental, psycho as a good a good kind of a good name for him and this talk of asylums and everything that they were talking about in the show. I mean I just, I don't want to see it again. I've seen it, I've done it, it's it's there, it's in the history books, just move on, let them do something and maybe build up a smaller guy, whether it's a, a Michaels or a Jarrett or even Owen and Brett, or just let them do something to get away from that big man kind of battle. And that will, well, we'll come to our, our kind of wrap up now of the show. Craig, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, I thought, the Shawn Michaels and Jeff Jarrett was obviously the highlight. The rest of the card, sorry, the, the Shawn Michaels Jarrett was a highlight. The, the opening match was pretty good. The other matches, bar the main event, you went into with low expectations, but weren't totally disappointed at worst from the outcomes. But but the main event was, for want of a better phrase, drivel. And in terms of an overall score, I'd probably give it a six and a half out of ten, maybe close to to a seven, but. Probably six and a half is the, the fairest score for me for that one. No. I don't think I'd be quite as generous as a six and a half, seven, Bob, but I think marking any show 
with a intercontinental title match less than a six would certainly be decrying that match. As, as Craig said, the opener was decent. The main event wasn't much, but I say I thought they made the most out of the, kind of what they had going into that. Um, Razor, I think, should be a bit higher up the card. The Allied Powers, as I say, I think is really good as a tag team. And as Craig says that, that Shawn Michaels, Jeff Jarrett match was brilliant. So I think anything less than a six would be unfair to that. You could stick in an Undertaker or a Bret Hart into the card and it would certainly bring up the score a little bit. But I've definitely got to go with at least a six for this overall. Yeah, for what it's worth, Undertaker and Bret Hart did both wrestle on this show, but in the uh, in the dark match from main events. Um, no, uh, I gave it a six. Um, positives on this show, it was miles, miles better than King of the Ring. Um, they seem to learn a lot of their mistakes from King of the Ring, i.e. let's just basically list our roster in order of how over they are, and by and large, with the exception of Bret and Undertaker, who they were just saving for another show, just put them in order on that card. Uh, the work rate was up, the booking decisions were good, the Sean Jarrett match was excellent. Um, I don't think it was quite as good as some people are making out, but relative to other things we see this year, it's been fantastic. Um, but yeah, again, you know, if you spent $15, I think you got your money's worth. The main event was, was really bad. Um, but I think you've got enough for your, for your $15. And so yeah, I think that's, uh, that's worthy of six out of ten. On to July 24th, and Shawn Michaels defeats Jimmy Del Rey. We cut to action from In Your House, and Vincent Mann says there are rumours going around that Jarrett was miming his performance, and that Rhodey may have sung the song. No mention at this stage at all about the Jarrett and Rhodey walkout. They are still trying to patch over this like, like nothing happened. Uh, we get a brief announcement that Goldust will be on his way to the WWF. King Mabel lays down the challenge to Diesel for the WWF Championship at SummerSlam. Bret Hart defeated Hakushi in the main event. The severed mould of Hart's head made a reappearance. We then see the debut of Dean Douglas. Shane Douglas, of course. He's playing a school teacher, which he is in real life. He presents the report card, a segment which pulls on none of the strengths of his ECW character. On to July 31st, and Shawn Michaels and Joe Lord get into a shouting match during an interview. Michaels ends up challenging Lord to get back in the ring. We get another report card segment from Douglas, yet more mistreatment. This time he's unenthusiastically analysing Bam Bam Bigelow. He awards him an F grade. Razor Ramon and Xavier Vega appeared to win the WWF Tag Team titles and Ramon pinned Owen Hart, but it later turned out that Yokozuna was the legal man. Cornette, quite preposterously, was ejected from ringside despite being the voice that pointed out referee Earl Hebner's error. As Raw went off the air, the match was still ongoing. Shawn Michaels, could I, could I have just a word with you? Just what a minute. You, you know, listen, in my role as a broadcast journalist, it's my job to ask you the tough questions. And that's what I came back here to do. Do you realize, Sean, that the vast majority of our viewers can't wait to see you get what you've got coming to you at the hands of Sid at SummerSlam? Oh, boy, I'll tell you. You make a joke out of everything. You know, as a matter of fact, I really wish it was me you were facing at SummerSlam instead of Sid. Do but- you think this to you? Because you know something, I do have some time in between now and SummerSlam, and you know, my book's open, I got an open contract, I can really do anything, I might be able to fit you in somewhere, but sorry, with you. <laughs> Come on now, I know you, see, like I said, he makes a joke out of everything, uh, but you're not trying to challenge me, I know. Would well, no, would I do that to the king? No, okay, uh, let's oh, get that out of the way, let's talk about Sid then, okay, but I would, 
I would love to get Well, you know, see, now you keep saying that, and i got to wonder, maybe you really do want to try me. Now, if you want to try me, I've got a busy, busy schedule, but I'm sure I can fit you in. You know something? I'd be more than happy to fit you in. Let's let's work something in the next couple of weeks. Your people call my people. Well, you well, and I will do it. Huh? You know what? You know what? I'd love it, huh? to. But see, here, let me, let me explain something else to you. I took a journalistic oath when I took this job co-hosting Monday Night Raw. See, and I promised that when I was here as a journalist... I wouldn't be here as a wrestler. So, see, I would love to right now take off this jacket and take off this crown and break you right in half. Now, well, <laughs> no, I wouldn't because then there'd be two the of you. Why don't you do all the fans a favor and keep the jacket on? And you know something? It's a good thing you're not a wrestler because call you a wrestler. Come on now. You're barely a broadcast journalist. Now, you sure you want to get in the ring with me? You sure you want to challenge me? Because, uh -huh. you know, the more I think about it and the more you push me, the more I'm thinking maybe you and I should have it. Maybe yep. you should have it. Maybe here on Monday Night Raw, somewhere sometime. Come on, Kingfish. How about me and you? Hey, huh? hey, hey, how hey. How about it, huh? Don't, don't push me don't because I will. Let me tell you something. I'll Ooh. take this crown off. Ooh. I'll take this jet. Oh, you're petrifying No, I took the oath. <laughs> I took the journalistic oath, which obviously you didn't take or you'd still be hosting the show. But oh, they, they got were, the hook on you. Hey, they were See, begging me to get back in the ring and begging for you to get out. So I had to get back and have this show You want me back in the Ring, Shawn Michaels, sure big do, shot, King big heartbreak. Yeah. yeah, come on, King. Put your money where your mouth is, chump. And we come out of the TV review uh, into the uh, into the story that we've you know basically been kind of jumping in and out of all shows so far. Uh, Jeff Jarrett and the roadie walking out on on the WWF uh, as of you know kind of during the the in your house show uh, details even at this stage you know a, a week removed are still you know not all that clear I can't you know essentially there, there's 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 some stuff about you know Jarrett being unhappy quite why are the roadie ties into all that given that. This is by far the high point of his career. We have some quotes from, from Jerry Jarrett saying that, you know, he's, he's, uh, Jeff, that is, he's unhappy about, um, uh, where, where his character's been, you know, how it's been portrayed. Um, he's concerned that his character is losing too many matches. And also just the fact that Jeff Jarrett doesn't need, um, necessarily to, you know, doesn't need to be working all of these matches. And Jerry Jarrett said, well, you know, there's, there's 24 pay-per-views a year now. You know, that means there's, you know, th there's much more chance of being oversaturated. And I, I kind of thought those quotes were a bit strange as well. Um, Dell, very unclear, but I, I think we, we'll deal with the stuff we know, which is mm. that Jeff Jarrett and, and the roadie of the century walked out right at the moment where their, both of their careers could have taken off. Pretty much. I mean, I think even just moving on for it just being the Jerry Jarrett quotes that's a bit strange. I mean, I think the full situation seems a bit strange for one of a better word. As you said, Jarrett's kind of this year, Jarrett's really impressed me, but he's impressed me in the likes that he's been getting so much time. I mean, there was the full build, I think it was it March, April time, there was the full build up to his full debut, his singing debut on Raw that obviously turned into an angle He's had the belt for a good few months, that intercontinental belt, so I mean, losing matches is a bit of a strange one when he's been kind of pretty much seen as the second, kind of the second man in the company behind the WWF champion. He was part of the King of the Ring, he's got the big debut at Nashville where he does the lip sync angle with Roddy, and then tying in Roddy as well, I mean, I mean, on screen they're, they're certainly a pair, and I'd imagine they're probably doing a lot of travelling and things as well backstage, and I mean, it just seems weird that, that the two of them, as you say, are tied into this together. I mean, Jarrett's, Jarrett's obviously a bit longer than the tooth. He's and had more mainstream attention in a wrestling business where he's kind of done the stuff with Jerry in Memphis. He's done kind of the WWF stuff in the last year or so particularly. 
Rody seems to be a bit kind of tied in with association here, where it's I'm um, fed up with us, which I don't really see how, kind of saying the time that he's been given, the angles that he's been given, the belt that he's been given. Rody seems to be like a, a better side with, with Mr Jarrett here, and it's, I mean, you kind of wonder where it's going. I mean, Jeff Jarrett's not really a name that you're going to be seeing. I don't think WCW would be bringing him in on a kind of Hogan basis, like, oh, we're going to get a big scalp for the Federation here. I mean, Jarrett's not going to, I don't think, put any kind of extra bums on the seats. Rody, as you say, still really early days. It's just, I think the full thing's just really, really strange, and especially the timing it. Greg? Yeah, I, there's not too much that I can really add to what, what Dallas just said, but I, I think the, the key point is it's just the, the idea of what, what does... What position does Jeff Jarrett think that he he has the right to? I mean, he had a great match with Shawn Michaels, but you couldn't really see him sort of moving into the the main event picture at all. So I think the sort of mid card level is is probably his glass ceiling. So for for that sort of a role, you are going to lose matches near. You're going to win matches. You're you're not sort of a bona fide superstar where you win every match. So I I, I think it's a lot of could question sort of expectation management of the whole the whole uh, Jarrett departure, but as as you both suggested, Rody leaving's even more puzzling. Yeah, um, I think there's more to this. I kind of think there has to be um, because it doesn't really make sense. It's not like I get the feeling an offer from WCW would necessarily be all, all that forthcoming at the moment. Maybe you know now that he's walked out, maybe they'd be thinking, well, you know, we want to want to launch our program. Let's grab a guy who who, who walked out, well, not as champion, he obviously just lost, but a guy who walked out. We're going to launch our new show in uh, in uh, in September. Let's let put him on that. Maybe I don't know. Um, maybe it's kind of you know maybe someone's got in his ear. It's like well, you're never going to be in a stronger position leverage-wise than you are now, in the sense that they've they put a lot of money into this this music single. They had a video that, that they produced, which was pretty well done. And apparently they were they were hoping to, you know, recap a lot of their investment on the single by selling it. That was the idea. You know, ultimately, it was going to be a WWF-produced single. Ultimately, with Rhodey as the, the headline, you know, the, the, the artist, and they may have released it under Jarrett's name previously as well. Um, so they had all these things planned, and best, you know, they, they obviously they were on a quite a bit on the fly um, in terms of the, the, the roar after. They didn't really kind of stop the angle. They just kind of said, you know, it's ongoing. It'll be interesting to see what they end up doing with that. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't get it. It's like you know, you're a you're a heel. You're gonna lose matches. That's what heels do. And it's like, you know, as champion for the better part of five, six months, I think. Um, well, he, he did technically drop it to Razor Ramon, I think, in April, and then we win it back. Um, and there's also the, him being stripped of the title against Bob Holly as well. But as champion, effectively, for the last five or six months, um, he's, you know, been fine. Um, he, he, you know, he's, he, he's won a lot of those matches. Okay, he lost to The Undertaker on TV, but it's The Undertaker. You're not on his level, Jeff. Um, and yeah, just more the point that, you know, who, who knows where he could have been in three months. I, I think, you know, the, given how good Rhodey's doing, they could have had a bar burner or a program, you know, with, with, with the split. I mean, I think if anything, the criticism might otherwise have been they'd have done it too quickly had they have, you know, foreshadowed Rhodey being the singer on this show. 
Um, but yeah, all very strange. But Dell, I think we've got to give you know, those two uh, and, and the company a lot of credit because they did a ton of work for this angle in terms of the, the music video, the production stuff on the pay per view with the, with the song, and it also turns out Rody can sing. Totally. I mean, the boy can carry a tune. As I say, it's not a, a great gimmick he's been given, but he's ran with it. We spoke about it last month with this partnership and the two of them really kind of almost kind of prop each other up, where Jarrett genuinely does look like a bit of a star these days. I mean, whether it's whether it's the kind of what angle on TV that seems to have gone to his head, or if he's just looking for more money or a better contract, or... I mean, it's just weird, but I mean, the two of them have been, been brilliant together. I mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be building up to WrestleMania 12 and it's Jeff Jarrett versus the Rodi for the WWF title. But, they've got a place, and I'm, can I come back to what I said earlier? It's, it's top of the B list, where it's, they've got a mid-card feud down the line. For the minute, they've got a mid-card pairing. You can put them in tag matches, whether it's, and maybe even getting them a title shot with the tag titles now that Jeff's lost the IC. Maybe that's where you can plant the seeds of the breakup down the line. I mean, there's a lot of different avenues that you could go with this. And I mean, especially when you're putting in the the money, as you say, with like the production side of it. We're kind of actually talking about releasing a single, putting it out on tape, getting kind of big stage setups and that with a live band. And I mean, the it's just really weird. I mean, the amount of time that they've spent with Jarrett in particular, and yeah, you I mean you lost to the Undertaker, but as you say, it's Undertaker, former WWF champion, best character gimmick in the business, bar none in my opinion. And I mean, he's lost to Shawn Michaels, but in the process of trying to recreate Shawn Michaels as the star that he is, he looked like money in that match. He's got the look. I think it was even Jeff that had said it last month when he's kind of got that bit of almost designer stubbornness where he kind of looks a bit rougher. He's got that kind of edge to him as a more of a cutting edge baby face than maybe the WWF's been used to in the last couple of years. And I mean, it's just, it really baffles me where Jeff Jarrett genuinely sees himself because as Craig alluded to there, I think he, I think he sees himself as he should be the next champion. This diesel thing's not working out well, it should be me. I think that's genuinely what Jeff Jarrett thinks at this minute in time. Uh, Craig, Jerry Jarrett did, did allude to comments, uh, you know, in part of his comments that, you know, Jeff doesn't, doesn't need to work. He, he's not the kind of guy that has to work these events. You know, he's got other things he can be doing, other business stuff he can be doing. But does Jeff Jarrett walk into WCW in two months' time? Could conceivably be. It would, uh, it would certainly be a big, uh, well, not a big, big, but a reasonably decent sort of uh, signing for uh, WCW, but I, I mean, you don't really sell sell anything through Jeff Jarrett. I mean, you're not going to sort of sell out a house show circuit headlined by Jeff Jarrett. It's, you're not going to do do a pay per view with with him front and centre. It's it's just really puzzling, and I, I think the the sort of misunderstanding of his positions certainly key. But the another point I was going to make is the the idea that. If he thinks he deserves something better, I'm not sure the WWF are terribly going to trust him after walking out and throwing it, throwing the toys at the pram in the way that he has done. I mean, they're, they're probably going to think twice about investing the, even the same amount that they've done in this uh, in this music video angle. So, it, I mean, strong-minded perhaps, but ill thought out certainly. Him just uh, walking out like he did.
Your attention, class. Your attention. Thank you. Definition. Knowledge. The sum of what is known. The body of truth. Information and principles acquired by mankind. The fact or condition of knowing something with familiarity gained through experience or association. The acquaintance with or the understanding of a science, art, or technique. Knowledge. Dean Douglas. Dean Douglas. The personification of knowledge. Those in the World Wrestling Federation fraternity are certainly going to know what it's like to be graded. Much like you each knows that feeling down deep in the pit of your stomach after you spent the evening plagiarizing a term paper. After you've sat in class and taken that test, after looking at your neighbor's paper. Indeed, the superstars of the World Wrestling Federation will be graded by the person, the only person that has the knowledge to do it accurately. There will be some superstars here and the World Wrestling Federation, who will get the same feeling in the pit of their stomach when they receive the grade that they know is coming. They may hope for an A. In all likelihood, they'll receive an F. Uh, Del, let's, uh, let's move on uh, to uh. Dean Douglas. Yeah. Um, a guy who we've... Shane Douglas, obviously, a guy that we've trailed a lot in the last mm -hmm. 18 months in ECW, a guy that there is an argument to say was the best act of 1994, depending on how you want to measure that, uh, a guy who was arguably, probably, the best promo of 1994, uh, left ECW this month, as uh, you will, people will listen to on your ECW show, yep. has come in as Dean Douglas, as a, as a <laughs> scholar with a, with a blackboard, and I don't recognise him, and, and that's not, not in a good way, i.e., I feel like if you, if we play this promo, and then we played a Shane Douglas ECW promo back to back, I'm not convinced anyone would think that was the same guy, uh, and that is a real negative. Well, I mean, looking at him in his classroom, and he's kind of trying to handle the piped-in classroom background noises, and he's scraping the blackboard. I mean, go back to August 30th last year, and he's standing there with an NWA title, and it was, it made tremendous, I mean, I know it's still a, a regional territory, but it made waves through the full industry. At that time, Bob, as we've talked about in any, ever since then. I mean, I know 95's been a bit stop start with the fool. Is he leaving? Is he staying? Is he going to WWF? Whatever. It's gonna put him a bit on the back foot and you've seen the likes of cactus and things come up, but we've spoken about it for months that Shane Douglas was a big fish in a small pond. 
and it's put him into the, put him into the ocean as he's going to swim. And, I, I mean, I don't think you would find anybody that watched ECW that wouldn't think, that guy's a star. Whether he goes to WCW, maybe like a US title level, work his way up, and WWF, you've got the likes of kind of mid-carders there, like Jeff Jarrett, Owen Hart, I know they're kind of in the bad guy side, but even kind of putting him in with like a, a Bret Hart or a Diesel, or I mean, you could list a dozen guys in that roster where you could think Shane Douglas would would certainly not sink. I mean, he would hold his own. He's maybe not the best wrestler in the world, but he's probably better than most, bar maybe, what, three or four in WWF? If you're maybe looking at Bret Hart and Owen or Shawn Michaels, he's not far, he's not far below them. And I mean, you could, can I talk about Jeff Jarrett at a B plus level? You could maybe even make an argument and give him a couple of months, let him adjust to the, the landscape of the Fed as opposed to ECW and the kind of on the fly booting and no contracts and, can almost go and show to show, give him a couple of months to get used to that world and he could easily be a B plus and A minus player and as, as Craig was talking about with Jeff Jarrett in a house show circuit Shane Douglas is, is somebody that you could easily slot in I mean we spoke about him last month in King of the Ring slotting right into that tournament, you could probably even make an argument for him winning the thing and as you say he's just totally unrecognisable, I mean I don't know, I hope my, I hope my apathy's coming across here because it really is in us. Can a couple of quick vignettes that we've seen? It's just, I, I really hope they've not missed the boat, but it's really not a, an inspiring start at all. No, I mean, somebody said to me this month that, you know, it's a lot more difficult when you're not moaning about Ric Flair. And I'm like, well, yeah, fair enough, but it's like, that's not what made his promos great. It was his delivery and his kind of conviction and, you know, to a degree, some of the stuff he was getting to talk about. What made his promos significant was what he was talking about, but that wasn't what made his promos great. Um, you know, it was just how he, how he delivered them and how good yeah. he was as a talker. And it's like, well, no, he can't moan about Ric Flair, but, you know, he, he can be, he can be 95% of the promo he was in ECW and be, fit in with the WWF environment. The fact is, they just haven't tried. Um, and yeah, you're right. Yeah, we're, we're talking about a time where the WWF roster is shorn on talent. Not just shorn on overness, it's shorn on talent. Um, or right, a lot of it's being misused even so, but it's not like there's a, it's not like there's a great roster of guys he's going up against. Really, he should come in and within a few months should be, in the top six or seven names they've got, you know, I mean, the, the only talker in the company that's better than him is probably Shawn Michaels and maybe Jerry Lawler. That's it, or should be, you know, who, who knows if they can, if they can ruin Dean Douglas, uh, ruin Shane <laughs> Douglas with this Dean Douglas gimmick. Maybe they're, maybe they're knocking everyone down in, in the character mm-hmm. department. Um, but Craig, I, I just don't get it. I mean, I know you're not a big fan of ECW, but you, you'll have seen enough of, uh, of Douglas in there. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how wrong someone can be. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I thought he, he looked pretty good in WCW at the start of the 90s. Uh, he was rumoured to, to be the, the guy that was getting the Heartbreak Kid gimmick when he was with the WWF, but walked out in uh, 1991. Uh, so for him to come back and be saddled with, with something that, I mean, whilst entirely fitting with uh, the 1995 WWF, it is significantly naff, very, very cheesy. 
the gimmicks, uh, sorry, the, the vignettes don't really do much for me. I mean, Bam Bam might be directionless, but just saying he's got the face of a walrus is hardly going to be something that's going to kick <laughs> off a, a, a big box feud, is it? So it's just, uh, it's just puzzling to, if you, if you look at this to sort of work out what the, what the, the long term goal of, of this is. Maybe it is, maybe the WWF have got more money than we think and it's all about trying to make Shane Douglas look ridiculous, but I doubt that is it, but it's... They, they haven't got more money than we think, I, I, I yeah, can no, categorically I, say that. But I can't really see any other outcome for this, because it's not, they're not, they've got, they've got a guy that, as you say, is a, is a, a very good, uh, talker, very competent in the ring, and it just looks like they're just going to waste them. It just doesn't make any sense. No, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll get it. Maybe, you know, it's it's two promos. Maybe he'll get used to the character. Maybe he'll be able to flesh it out more over time. But it's, as I say, it's more that the promo came on. And I, I almost didn't recognise him. Like it, it was it was the candour of the delivery. It was just his lack of passion and fire. And it's like, say what now? You know that. that didn't it's almost as if he's been neutered, Bob. To be quite honest. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? We will see. May, as I say, maybe it will get better. You know, it would be wrong to completely write it off, but it certainly hasn't been a good start. The, uh, the, the final part of, uh, of this month's show, we're going to look ahead briefly to, uh, to Summer, uh, Summer Slam coming up next month. Uh, the card as listed in the, uh, Pro Wrestling Torch in the, I think it's the final newsletter of, uh, of July, uh, is as follows. Diesel against King Mabel for the WWF title. Shawn Michaels versus Sid. Undertaker versus Kammer. Bret Hart versus Isaac Yankum. Alunda Blaze versus Bertha Fay. The Ally Powers versus William the Refrigerator Perry and a partner to be named later. And the 123 Kid versus Body Donna Skip. Craig, um, one thing I read in the Observer this week was that that that, that is the card, you know, as they understand it as well. But there is a lot of concern the the lack of you know potentially good matches on that card, and I would say they're right. Yes, uh, I, I would as well. I mean, whilst we're uh, full, full of praise for Shawn Michaels, and he may well be able to take all three of us to. Uh, a decent match. I don't think he's going to be able to carry Sid to a good match. Uh, I think I think Diesel versus Mabel has got every potential to be worse than uh, Diesel versus Sid this month. I'd be Bret very surprised Hart. if it wasn't. Yes, Bret Hart versus Isaac Yankum just continues with the theme of just wasting Bret Hart. Uh, Landry Blaze versus Bertha Face should be all right. So I, those four matches listed so far. It's the the best one. I certainly don't think Undertaker versus Cam is going to better it, and I'd be very staggered to see if Allied Powers versus Perry and a surprise partner uh, will be better. You'd expect that whoever Perry's mystery partner is will probably be doing the bulk of the work, but but even still, and first the one two three kid versus Skip will be a, a fairly decent match. I'd be staggered if it wasn't the opener. Yeah. And if it if it lasted more than like five minutes, yeah. Um, Del, yeah, this, this Del, um, if this is the plan, I, I kind of think it needs changing. Mm, I mean, there's definitely a few that's got potential. I mean, Sean and Sid, contrary to Craig, I actually think it might be a decent match. I mean, you've got Sid coming off the back of this title match in your house too. So I mean, Sid's really kind of put in as that number one contender in July, getting into August you've got Sean's won the IC belt 
whether it's going to be for that title or it's maybe non-title, I don't know how they're going to plan that, but Sean's, especially since this kind of good guy turn that we've really seen develop this year, he's got that style where he can sell for a Sid, it's whether Sid does enough to kind of capitalise on that heat that he gets that Sean gives him, because I mean, as you say, the the full stupid ending, he, like, the, hitting that, that power bomb that he did in Diesel and then just high-fiving the lumberjacks, is he going to have that kind of poor psychology in a match with Sean? Because I think that'll show up, it'll show up Sid and it'll probably take away for Sean as well. But I mean, I think there's legs in that. Undertaker and Karma doesn't really fill me with much excitement, but we are still waiting for a payoff with that, I suppose, with the full melting down the arm and getting the chain and things like that, whether it's going to be like a, Maybe like an old kind of Memphis style match with maybe like a chain match or something like that to kind of try and make the most out of it like they did with Sid and Diesel and the Lumberjacks being there. Um, the women's title match, I'd rather see Bill Nakano there than Bertha Faye, but that you is can't, what you it can't is. keep doing a Lumber Faye's Bill Well, that's true. I mean, it's, it's all we've pretty much, all we've really seen. I mean, I think with what, like Lanny Kai. Mania 10, and then we've seen Bertha Faye in a couple of TV matches, but I suppose when you don't really put any kind of investment in their division, you're not really going to get much else than that. I mean, the, the Allied Powers and kind of going up against Big big Fridge Perry, and things, I mean, that kind of seems a bit strange to me, because, I mean, you've seen it at, at Mania when LT was brought in as the babyface. When you're bringing in these guys for the outside world, you, you kind of want to shine them up, and whether that kind of suggests that the Allied Powers are maybe going to be turning, or I don't, I think it's just kind of, it's almost like a bit of a weird, a weird look from Vince and the WWF at the outside world. Where I mean, we've seen it alluded to in this show where Jerry Lawler was talking about the Open um, that's been going on this month over here, and kind of talking about it as the, one of the biggest tournaments in England when it happens like an hour from our house. You've got an American winning it, but he's saying that would annoy the Allied powers when, at least kayfabe-wise, you've got Owen Hart's Canadian and Yoko's for Japan. So why would Lex Luger being an American be annoyed that an American won the Open? And I mean, I don't know whether it's just a lack of understanding for, for the Fed when they're talking about these sports guys coming in. Or, I don't know, it's weird. I mean, I think, Sean and Sid, I think it's got get a bit of legs, there are a couple of payoffs that we're looking for there, Brett Hart and Isaac Yankum I don't really know enough about Yankum yet um, Jeff was talking about him as Unibom and Smoky Mountain last month but it's, it's a promotion I don't watch so I don't really know much about him I'm just a bit worried again, it's going to tie into another Brett and Lawler angle and that's going to drag on again but I don't, I, I'm not overly excited at the minute but we can only wait and see No, um and uh, and Dale, the match you didn't really mention was was Diesel and Mabel. Uh, I suppose you did mention it briefly, well, but yeah. I mean, that's, that is a that is a horrible match on top. Maybe that was subconsciously. I don't know. I kind of avoided mentioning that, but we spoke about it with Sid and Diesel when you've got the two kind of big big guys going in there. I mean, she said last month with the King of the Ring, kind of seeing Mabel kind of gassing it. Diesel's not exactly a workhorse either. I mean, we've seen Bret Hart drag it at him, but the two of them, for, I think they definitely need some kind of stipulation to, to make that. But what can you do when when you've got like the potential for an Undertaker karma match, having a, a gimmick stipulation? You've got Sean and Sid that might have some involving 
maybe Diesel and Sean's corner or something, and then they swap over for the main event. I mean, you might have to just put up where a basic one-on-one wrestling match with those two and it's just I mean it should be brilliant it should be the WWF champion going up against the king of the ring I mean look back last year you could have had as Brett versus Owen as we did at SummerSlam and I mean this year it's just like this should be like two of your biggest guys and well I suppose they are but in stature as, as well as just kind of ability being the biggest guys in the company going head to head and the the headliner of the summer, and I mean, it should be huge, but it's just, you almost worry about it, especially with seeing the In Your House 2 main event, as we've just seen it, it's like, what are we going to get out of this, just like a, a five minute slugfest to one of them ends up passing it, or, I don't know, hopefully that's, I'd like to think it's something they might be able to change on the card, as you've kind of said, we're still kind of talking tentatively about us at the minute, but is that, that ending of the, the pay-per-view this month, we've seen kind of Diesel singling out the King. It, it looks as if that one's pretty much set in stone. So, I don't know, I'm not overly anticipating it. And that will bring to a conclusion this month's show. Firstly, thank you very much for Del Muir. Thank you as always, Bob. Uh, Del, you're on Twitter? Yep, Twitter, Del underscore Muir. Usual social media stuff, stuff on the wrestling 20 years ago website and obviously part three coming up with ECW as well. Yeah, Dal is, well, not riding solo on ECW, but he's, he, he's not riding with me this month. I'm not going to be on that show. Um, so, you know, we'll, uh, who knows what the ECW show could end up being like without me <laughs> being there. Uh, but we will Cash find out. Yes, we will, perhaps, perhaps. And, uh, Craig Wilson, thank you very much, Craig. Uh, pleasure has been all mine. Excellent. And tell people, uh, firstly, where they can find you on Twitter and also about your wrestling blog. Yeah, uh, the, I write uh, ringthedambell.wordpress.com and I tweet about wrestling from that Twitter account which is uh, just at ringthedambell but with the last L replaced by the number one and it's sort of a very, very retro themed thing even going for, even further back than this fine podcast and it's a company website does. Did, did I see a blog, a blog from your website this month about the fall of the Nasty Boys? Yes, yes you did, and uh, you'll see a couple of uh, days before, uh, a couple of days ago, sorry, there is a review of this very show as well, and mm-hmm. some other stuff talking about 95 on there, and some stuff going back even as far back as the late 70s and 80s. Well, there we go. There we go. And as always, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba, uh, Wrestling20YRS.com, uh, Wrestling20YRS on Twitter, Facebook.com, Paul Sass, Wrestling20YRS. Email subscriptions all on there. Um, what else is there? iTunes, RSS. You can find it all on the website. That's fine. Anyway, I've been Bob Bamba. This has been the Volume 2 of the July 1995 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.